And the next era of the MCU begins now. We have a Moon Knight Episode 1 review, all of this week's top news, and a look back at the different ways to tell the stories you love. Time Coach, show you where you need to go. Let's get it. Truth is, we need new heroes. Thanks for the lesson. This is the way. In my culture, I am a Jedi. I am birthed with glorious purpose. We're all villains here. Not us tonight. I'm a superhero! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome in episode 83 of the Direct Podcast. In your ears, the Moon Knight era has begun. I'm one of your hosts, the Fist of Kevin Feige, Matt Rimke, joined by the content machine, Liam Crowley. Liam, very quickly, how you doing? How was your weekend? I love that little alteration you made to the nickname. It's perfect. Matt Remke is the vessel that Kevin Feige is puppeteering right now. I'm doing great. My weekend was fantastic. It was a nice reset button as we go into this surge of content that is not going to slow down until some point in the midsummer. Maybe we don't even know. It is a great week to be a fan of the fantastic, and I'm just overjoyed to be here. Yeah, it's it's uh it's game time now, Liam. Now we go mm-hmm. situation. It's it's gonna be pretty awesome. I'm really excited to dive into it. I'm glad you, I'm glad you had a great weekend. Um, I had a great weekend as well with all the basketball, but we have other things to get to. Liam, the Oscars happened, and I think we should talk about it. I'm gonna open up and just be very blunt. I did not watch the Oscars. I uh, I'm very into award shows. I love them. Uh, performances at award shows specifically, one of my favorite things. Um, I'm, I, I, I have stopped pretending that I've seen all the Oscars movies. I haven't, um, I haven't watched them all. So I don't, I, it's not like I can say, oh, that should have won. Cause I haven't seen everything. Right. But when, you know, one of the biggest actors of all time slaps, one of the greatest comedians of all time across the face, you tend to tune in, uh, uh, Liam, what do we think about the Will Smith, Chris Rock situation? I, I, I don't think we can not, not talk about it. I want to shout out the direct podcast listeners because the amount of people that hit me up and were like, I know you're a wrestling fan. Was this a work or a shoot? And I love when people use wrestling lingo in just everyday speak. Um, For those who don't know in wrestling, if something is a work, it means it was scripted and planned. If something was a shoot, the people went into business for themselves, went off script and actually fought or actually said something they weren't supposed to say. So this was absolutely a shoot. I would maybe argue that it could have been scripted if Will Smith didn't drop two F-bombs on a live Disney-sanctioned broadcast immediately after. And if the YouTube TV broadcast feed wasn't cut, my YouTube TV froze for like two minutes, which can happen every now and then because my Wi-Fi can be a little unstable. And I didn't think anything of it. And then I check my Twitter timeline and I just see a bunch of question marks, a bunch of people saying, what's going on? Oh my God, did that just happen? And then I saw the clip on Twitter because I never saw it on the live broadcast feed. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, wow. The, the thing I equated it to is remember when you were younger, we're talking like elementary school age and you're at a friend's house and your friend starts like fighting with the parent and the parent oh, yeah. like shouts back at them. And you're just sitting there like twiddling your thumbs like, uh, what do we do now? I was so uncomfortable and I don't know any of these people. So what a weird, wild moment. The Oscars are always good for one just about every single year. And I think this might have topped the La La Land Moon Knight situation. Wow. Yeah, it's it's there's now a top three of live action. What the fuck just happened moments. And it is Will Smith and Chris Rock, La La Land and Kanye. Like it's 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 officially cemented. Um, it's crazy thing. Shout out to Chris Rock's jaw. Just ate that thing. 
just totally just ate it, kept going, consummate professional. Um, you know, shout out Will Smith for winning best best actor 20 minutes later and just being <laughs> a straight up G about it. Um, it's absolutely crazy. The second craziest thing that happened that night, right? Third craziest, I'd argue. Third craziest, ladies and gentlemen. We will, um, you know, we're not going to get into it in the news, but we're just going to talk about it right, right here, right now. Um, I, I don't even want to say it out loud. The Snyder Cuts climax scene of the Flash entering the Speed Force, objectively dope scene, was awarded the number one cheer moment of all time. Not in 2021, of all time. The Snyder Cut, the most hype moment in movie history, according to the Academy. Liam, on a scale of one to 10, how much do you agree with that award? Well, one thing we got to make clear, this was fan voted like oh, this really? was. <laughs> yes. And if it wasn't obvious by the Snyder Cut one, it was obvious by the hashtag fan favorite one where <laughs> Army of the Dead beat out Spider-Man No Way Home for Oscars Ooh. fan favorite. Army of the Dead made by Zack Snyder. Oh, Zack like, Snyder. Yes. Right, 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 right. The, the, I got to say, I tip my cap and I respect like the Snyder cult because Wow. <laughs> like the, the ability not only to get that flash uh, moment to win, but also Army of the Dead, which no one even thought would crack the top five and let alone take home the award. Anyways, the the flash moment, objectively, it's a cool scene. If if you turn the volume off, in my opinion, the lines delivered by Ezra Miller suck. I oh. ugh, I cannot stand like you got to do it, Barry. You got to break the rule like the it the way it's delivered is cringeworthy and then oh. dad i want you to know your son was one of the best like what am i watching here oh. what am i watching the music is great the uh, cinematography is superb but the lines of dialogue are just oh it makes me want to gouge my eyes out and the fact that not only did it beat avengers endgame avengers assemble from 2019, which I can understand that not winning because it's not too recent in the memory, but it beat out the freaking three Spider-Man uniting a moment that that is three months old, three months. How? How in yeah. the world? And you know me. I'm no like Spider-Man No Way Home, like flag bearer. I, I, th I think it's a little overrated. I'm not going to lie. But the moments in that movie cannot be understated. And you're telling me the Flash entering the Speed Force in a movie that is not canon, in a movie that was on a streaming service that wasn't even in a theater, was better than the three Spider-Man uniting? I've waxed poetic about how I didn't really care for my first theater experience about Spider-Man No Way Home. When those three land on the Statue of Liberty and I couldn't hear anything going on in, in my auditorium, Warranted. that was euphoric. <laughs> yeah. Euphoric. I understand it's fan voted, but... No. Fired up, Matt. Fired yeah, up. Yeah, it's 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 um it's ridiculous. It really is. Uh, future friend of the show, Barcelona Sports, Coley Mick. He had an amazing tweet. Nobody ever in the history of time has ever cheered during that flash moment. I don't think Zack Snyder would like the idea of the climax emotional moment of his movie being a cheer moment. It's not a cheering moment. It's a deep emotional moment, or at least it's supposed to be, until he says, make your own future, make your own past. It's all right now. What the hell is that beat, Liam? What the hell is that even mean? You know what I mean? So, um, it, you know, you talked about Spider-Man No Way Home, obviously an incredible movie, and I love it so, so, so much. Anything beating out the portal scene for cheer moment, that moment was like famous for how much people cheered during it. 
Like there's a 30 minute YouTube clip you can watch right now that is simply just people screaming at that moment in theaters across the world. It's K-pop and it's Snyder fans. They run this stuff. And it's what we call that Avengers Endgame portal moment in wrestling. It's called a sustained pop. It's not one pop and everyone simmers. It's one loud cheer. Bum, bum. T'Challa enters out throughout the portal. Everyone comes in. Spider-Man swings in. Everyone goes nuts. And then as the music swells up, as Alan Silvestri's music and, and the camera sweeps across, it goes uh-huh. silent. Uh-huh. Avengers uh-huh. assemble. And then we go like that pop lasts for literally two and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable. It's it's the Rock and Cena standing in the middle of the stage at WrestleMania. It's the Rock and Hogan standing in the middle middle of the ring at WrestleMania. Like it's that. It's 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 the one where you're watching a wrestling pay per view and the wrestlers just stop for a second and look around. Who are the two girls who did it? Uh, was it last year? Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair. Yep. Like what an inc- I, I got chills thinking about it. What an incredible moment. That's exactly what Portals was. That is a hundred percent what Portals was. McAfee and Adam Cole work or script. Oh, uh, script, but it, it's it's a it's a worked shoot as they call it. They 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 do their little uh little extra bits to make it feel real. Well, my boy Ty Schmidt got one in the chest from Adam Cole. That was that baby a little worried, man. Adam <laughs> Cole's a big guy. He's a little guy, but he's a big guy. Uh, guys, that was our Oscars update. What an amazing thing! Really quick note: this Friday, a little later in the day, we're gonna have a Morbius review. We're gonna clean up some news depending on if news comes out. So really, what it's gonna be. If there's news between now and Friday, it'll be basically a whole episode. If there's not really anything we're talking about, might just be a bonus review. But Friday evening, afternoon-ish, keep an eye out for our Morbius review. We're going to have a couple of drinks. It's going to be a good time. We're going to do our best to enjoy it. You know what I mean? It's going to be um, – I was talking to Jack yesterday, and I stand by it. That song in the trailer, When You're a Stranger, still bakes. It's very cool. I like the song. But uh, that is our scheduling update. Keep an eye out for Morbius this Friday. A little later in the day, Liam, let's get to the top news. This is a real. Just in time for us to talk about which A-list actors we want to see in the MCU, rumors have stirred about one of the biggest names in Hollywood joining the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise. Star of the greatest movie ever made, Kevin Bacon, is trying to get footloose in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And speaking of Guardians of the Galaxy, the Steph Curry of comic book movies, James Gunn, recently said that the Guardians holiday special is, quote, the greatest thing he's ever done. Liam, our guy is coming home and he is bringing the heat. And speaking of our guys, Ryan Coogler has his name attached to another Marvel property. It is being reported that the Black Panther director has become a part showrunner for Ironhearts. Very exciting stuff. And rounding out the red brand, Ryan Reynolds has taken to the Bird app and teased the return of Leslie Uggams as Blind Al in Deadpool 3. Quick stop into the blue brand of the DC Universe. The famed post-credit website RadaAlada.com has officially been seized and taken over by the Gotham City Police Department. Just in case you didn't get the message, Warner Bros, Matt Reeves, and the Batman are indeed building a universe. Just in case you didn't get the message. And because of a short week, our news from a galaxy far, far away is non-existent. So here at the Direct Podcast, we will be talking about what Star Wars characters we want to get a spinoff. And for more information about everything you need to know about the universes you love, make sure to head over to thedirect.com. 
What about the people in the back? People in the back, keep my podcast name out your mouth. That is the direct.com. Liam, wild week of news. Uh, you know, everything ranging from Kevin Bacon to Rana Alada just sticking around. It's a lot to talk about, but let's start at the top. Kevin, actually, you know what, Liam? Liam, I'm going to uh, dealer's choice here. I got a list of stories in front of you here. Which one do you want to start? I kind of want to talk Kugler, man. Let's do it. Let's do it. It's a, it's a great thing to have Ryan Kugler attached to any Marvel project. This dude is an absolute genius and he's young. Like getting these young directors involved in the MCU is always fantastic. And like you said, he's a world builder. You've said this on the podcast so many times before. Black Panther is in its own universe within the MCU. We talk about the different branches of the MCU. You could argue that the Wakanda branch is its own thing. And we expect him to do great things with Wakanda forever. We know we're going to get some Atlantis vibes. There's maybe hints of Latveria, maybe an allusion to Doctor Doom. Either way, what he's planting in Black Panther Wakanda forever is super, super special. And one of those seeds is Riri Williams as Ironheart. This is her introduction into the MCU. It's only appropriate that he continues to have his fingerprints on Dominique Thorne's character as she develops and evolves. One thing that I know always gets kind of weird, especially with Star Wars, right? When they switch directors in the sequel trilogy, when J.J. Abrams went to Ryan Johnson, whatever you think about The Last Jedi, you got to agree that there are some elements that feel like someone else took it over. Mm -hmm. They don't feel consistent. If Ryan Coogler is going to introduce Riri Williams into the MCU in Black Panther Wakanda forever, it's only appropriate that he serves on some sort of board of directors for her own Ironheart series. He's writing this character at the start. He should continue to write this character or at least train someone to write the character moving forward. It's the same reason why James Gunn helped with Guardians dialogue in Avengers Infinity War. It's the same reason why Ryan Coogler helped with Wakanda cinematography in Avengers Infinity War. This is what Marvel Studios does. They spare no expense because story always outweighs financial gain. And I love that. Yeah, I love it too. Um, based on what you just said, I think about uh, Shackman and Schaefer in WandaVision, um, all six episodes. Uh, same with uh, uh, Carrie and Kate Heron and Loki and Falcon Winter Soldier. When you have a the you know s director, writer, whatever it might be, throughout in the entirety of a project or the entirety of a character, I think it really shows in a really awesome way. I can't wait, dude. If they can get Riri Williams over for the general populace, like like. You know, Guardians is on backpacks now and lunchboxes and folders at school with kids. Like, if they can put Riri Williams over, there's our Iron Man, guys. Like, like all the iconic imagery that we have of the MCU of the mask coming down, the the repulsor blast sound, which went first round in our sounds draft. Like, <laughs> those things all come back, and they're pink, and it's dope as hell. Like, I just, I, I can't wait, and... I think they're going to put a lot of effort to making Riri a very big deal in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Another big deal, Kevin Bacon. Ever heard of him? Liam, have you seen the original Footloose? Of course I've seen the original Footloose. Have you seen the remake? Uh, only parts of it on FX every now and then. One of the better 80s remakes, in my opinion. I just love all the actors in it. Uh, you know, Julianne Huff is a godsend, but uh, Miles Teller is just wonderful in the footloose remake but uh the original footloose one of the greatest dance movies of all time one of the greatest suit jackets of all time with the burgundy with the black lapel come on you can't beat that right kevin bacon superstar canon in the mcu 
rumored to be in a Guardians project. It's just a rumor. But here's the thing about these Marvel rumors. If an actor gets rumored to be a part of the universe, it history shows that they're probably going to show up in some capacity. It, sometimes it isn't exactly what it was during the rumor, but they're involved in some way, shape, or form. Liam, where do you see Kevin Bacon popping up in a potential Guardians project? I, I kind of wonder if he's just going to play himself. You know what I mean? Because technically in the universe, it gets all murky. I think with Marvel being set in the world outside your window, like you got to imagine that there's some sort of, we reference Star Wars, right? Like the actor Samuel L. Jackson is in the MCU while also Nick Fury is too. So I don't think Kevin Bacon, he could play a character and continue those vibes, but because Kevin Bacon is so often referenced by Peter Quill, and the Guardians and him just being like the greatest man that ever lived and the greatest movie of all time. It never was like I think that there's a good chance that he just plays himself in a Guardians holiday special that might take place at some parts on Earth. Uh, the direct's very own Sam Hargrave had that amazing uh, set photos article that came out just yesterday, time of recording. Uh, I implore everyone to check it out. If you go over to the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special tab on the direct.com you should be able to find it very easily but it looks like the guardians holiday special is going to at least partly take place on earth there are some police cars flipped over there's a house decorated with christmas attire maybe you know they they take a pit stop on uh you know the land of jesus as peter quill would say and uh i don't know have some fun with kevin bacon am i supposed to say jesus god that movie's good um uh so that, yeah, that's kind of the general thoughts that Kevin Bacon's going to play himself. Uh, another friend of the show, writer, the direct Pierre, he had a theory that what if like, it's like a sappy Christmas story where Peter Quill's very sad about losing Gamora and the Guardians want to cheer him up. So they go kidnap Kevin Bacon, to bring him, uh, uh, just like a Harzu Happelfrau. Um, but uh, my theory, I, I don't know. I really feel like I have a read on what James Gunn's doing in the MCU in a lot of different ways. Obviously, the Mark Hamill Santa Claus thing is, you know, something I'm very invested in at this point. Um, the uh, the I have a strong theory that it's going to be revealed that Peter Quill's favorite Christmas movie is Die Hard because it came out the year that he was abducted. So I think oh. that could be a really fun, you know, little thing to throw in that movie. Um, and then Kevin Bacon, obviously, him playing himself would be cool. But if he's not. Uh, uh, Benicio Del Toro, Jeff Goldblum, Kurt Russell. Elders of the Universe. It's a group in Marvel Comics of just kind of like, you know, the people who were there when the universe first started. Um, we saw Thanos go to the Collector to collect the Reality Stone in Infinity War, correct? Mm -hmm. In the Infinity Quest comic, it's, it's he does go to the Collector to collect a stone, but he also goes to the Grand Master and other Elders of the Universe to collect stones. I think it could be cool if Kevin Bacon is the next elder of the universe introduced along with Goldblum and uh, the collector and ego. I think that could be a cool actor. And what if it's like one of those situations where he's a character that Peter Quill for some reason he can't explain. He's just in love with him. It's because he's Kevin Bacon. You know what I mean? That could be pretty cool. Um, real quick. Do you remember when James Gunn said that the Suicide Squad was the best project he had ever worked on? And we were all really sad because he's our Marvel guy and he's over on the Blue Brand. He, he just said the same thing about the holiday special. He's back. And oh, I'm so excited. I'm just it, it's like getting a, a, a Hall of Fame player for your team back on your team. It's a really cool thing. Do you remember um, that moment? That was a that was a practice episode. That's an unaired that's episode. That was our yeah. DC fandom unaired episode where we were like, ah, I feel, feel, a little, feel a little salty right now. 
man, man, we were so excited for that movie and it paid off. I feel like, you know, like, mm-hmm. like the things we were excited about for the Suicide Squad came to fruition. And I think that's a really cool thing for a DC movie. Um, really quick. I want to talk about Deadpool three real quick. Ryan Reynolds teased that blind Al is coming back played by Leslie Huggins. Great character. I think she's hilarious um, in those movies. I just realized have we ever talked about Deadpool 3 or like what it could be about as like a, the third of a trilogy? Not really. Yeah. Uh, we, I mean, we've covered like Sean Levy is directing it. We right. addressed the fact that it's in swing at Marvel Studios. We've addressed the fact that it's going to be R rated. But yeah, I've always kind of looked at it not as a reboot, but like not a direct sequel to Deadpool mm-hmm. 2 in the sense that he's going to be playing in the House of Mouse now and he's going to have a bunch of different jokes. And yeah, I. I never really thought of it like that. It's funny. It's interesting. It is a part of the X-Men universe. The Fox-Men universe. Colossus is in the movie. Um, you know, obviously the the amazing cameo by the, uh, um, what was the movie? With the Apocalypse at the time, right? Yeah, the young X-Men, yeah. Yeah, so uh, amazing cameo by all of them. But I'm thinking like Zazzy Bates as Domino. Obviously Blind Al. Um, uh, uh, who's uh, his, what's his wife's name? Vanessa? I think so. Right? right? daredevil um but uh all of those characters players on the board in the deadpool franchise i think they could be coming back it could be a situation where just like we talked about uh ryan reynolds bringing his guy and sean levy into the mcu with him those characters could also be jumping over domino's an incredible comic book character that was done on live action like like the idea of a girl who gets lucky like how do you do that in live action deadpool 2 crushed that and mm-hmm. i and I, don't know, I hope to see more of those guys again and like it's an X-Men character, you know? So, like, the, as far as, like, the X-Men entry into the MCU, I think Deadpool could be a big piece of it. Liam, Rada Alada, still around. Um, the the amazing internet website that uh, was the post credit scene for the Batman and has turned into a thing, just overall. Obviously, there was the, um, I, I think I coined it, the early 2000s internet mystery aspect of it, which was kind of fun for everybody. Then the Joker deleted scene, and now the website's been seized by the Gotham City Police Department. Liam, what are your thoughts on the GCPD taking over that website? What could it mean for the story? And also, do we need to keep updating people on Rada Alada? Well, it depends on if things change. Uh, I don't think we ourselves need to check the website because Twitter (laughs) finds out five seconds before it happens. But... I think that there's two ways to look at it. One, this is the end of Batman's kind of marketing campaign as it gets ready for its HBO Max release, which I believe is coming in like the next two weeks. It only had like a 45 day theatrical window. Uh, We'll see if it holds on to that. I don't know if those are always set in stone because Shang-Chi had a similar one and it extended more to like 60 days. Same thing with Eternals. So we'll see what happens with the Batman moving over to streaming, but Uh, you look at it with the GCPD seizure and you think of it like, okay, marketing over, but then you look at it with the in-universe ramifications. And I wrote the article, so I went on like a very deep speculation session as we do in the what this means for for news that doesn't really have a lot of meat to it. It's like, we got to start theorizing. Um, The Riddler is, is a terrifying character when you know what he's doing. When you don't know what he's doing, that brings it up to an 11. So the fact that his website is shut down, we don't really have eyes on Edward Nashton right now. Kind of scary. Um, I know it really doesn't mean anything right now because technically the Batman is over and we don't know where the future of the Colin Farrell Penguin show is going to go or the Arkham Asylum show. But if I had to guess, Riddler's cooking something up and he doesn't want anyone seeing it because I 
think he's always that character who's the smartest person in the room. I don't think the in-universe implications of this are that Gotham uh, City Police Department seized it. I think it's more that Riddler kind of gave it up. And I wonder why that is. Of course, you know, I'm connecting imaginary dots here, but it's more fun to do that. Yeah, he wanted to get locked up in the MCU. Um, uh, one of the best lines in that entire movie. It's just such a good cut into the, uh, uh, the not not the Batman. This is Dark Knight. Oh, wait, we're talking Loki? No, 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 no. I'm talking Jim Gordon in the Dark Knight when oh. he wanted to get locked up in the MCU and they cut straight to the dog's head out the window scene. Just so no, because. You said MCU, and I was right. like, what? Major crime. <laughs> Loki in the first Avengers. Yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff, man. I love I love that little random Easter egg that the MCU is something that's said in the greatest comic book movie of all time. It's a DC movie. Um, so we didn't have any Star Wars news, Liam. Slow week for Star Wars. We're on a short week ourselves, moving to Wednesdays. Uh, just a quick reminder, we're going to be on Wednesdays for the foreseeable future. Bonus and extra episodes will be coming on Fridays. Um, so no Star Wars news since the last time we recorded. So in honor of Obi-Wan and, you know, just the idea of one of the greatest Star Wars characters of all time getting his own spinoff show. I wanted to ask you a quick question. What Star Wars character do you want to see receive the Ahsoka treatment or the Obi-Wan treatment in getting their own project? Well, I'm going to kind of contradict myself here because oh, I have said so often how much I despise the sequel trilogy, mostly because Rise of Skywalker left a sour taste in my mouth. I adore The Force Awakens. It's become worse in retrospect when you know how those loose ends get tied up. Similar with like how Game of Thrones, you know, it's hard to rewatch Game of Thrones because we know how the final season goes. Last Jedi, I wasn't a major fan of it in the theater on my first watch. I've come around on it a little bit more, but I still have a lot of issues with it. That said, even though I don't care for those three movies as a whole, my favorite character in Star Wars history is a main player in all three. And that's Kylo Ren. I want to see a Kylo Ren solo project. I'd love to see what Ben Solo was up to in his early days as kind of this Darth Vader fanboy. And I don't know exactly how it fit, how it would fit into the greater universe, because obviously it seems like Lucasfilm doesn't want to touch the sequel trilogy right now they want to focus on stories either in between six and seven or in between three and four which i respect and i admire and until they let us down i will fully back them for that but yeah i just i would love to see a knights of ren solo series mm -hmm. see how kylo recruited people see what they're up to see what their missions are see what the first order looked like while it was being rebuilt how did the galaxy let nazi germany 2.0 rise again how did that happen? I want to see it. Yeah, I, uh, you know, me personally, and, you know, we talked about this at nauseum. I think that Kylo Ren is a fumbled character in the Star Wars universe. I think they set him up really well in The Force Awakens. I love what they do with him in uh, The Last Jedi. And then Rise of Skywalker, obviously, I just think was clunky for his character development. Seeing more of that would be cool. Uh, last night, I turned on uh, The Force Awakens so randomly and uh started watching it with the intent of like you know really watching it but then i realized i had to do the rundown for the show and i didn't want to do both at once but i was able to see that opening scene with him and poe dameron and just you said darth vader fanboy like that is straight up what it is man he doesn't need the mass thing and i think snoke even says it uh in the second movie take that thing off it's ridiculous you know kind of thing right 
So, um, yeah, more Kylo Ren would be very cool in the MC in the uh, Star Wars universe. I just, like you said, I'm not really sure where that fits with what they're doing. Um, my pick, and it's just so classic me to be late on something and then be very obsessed about that thing that I was late on, like retroactively be all in on something. And that's Jedi The Fallen Order video game released in 2019 i've seen the whole story amazing jedi story you know it's something you it's not anything you haven't heard before a young jedi survives order 66 what happens now and uh the main character is the character i want to see in live action it's cal kestis played by cameron monaghan the red-headed kid from shameless just an incredible actor um just an amazing amazing person to have in the star wars universe i think i think it's a good get by them um, because of the video games wild success. I can't imagine he won't get a project at some point, honestly, at this point, based on where we left him off, I would be shocked if he doesn't show up in Obi-Wan because that game is all about inquisitors. It's all about restoring the Jedi order finally kind of thing. Right. And I feel like that's an Obi-Wan, you know, that's a one, that's a, a one shot of Obi-Wan. So I, I, I would be surprised if he doesn't show up. I just don't know what happens to him in live action because there's a second video game coming out, right? So Fallen Order 2, I don't know how much that's going to influence him in live action. I think video games have to have their place in this lore for sure. But um, it'll be interesting because Cal Kestis, it's, it's just such a great character that would fit so well in what they're doing right now in the, in the Star Wars universe. I know we didn't have a Star Wars story in the rundown, but we have some, some teeny breaking news from the galaxy far, far away. Mm-hmm. Nothing crazy. Uh, the Mandalorian season three has officially wrapped filming. Yo, are you serious? Yeah. Uh, uh, we have a Instagram from costume designer Amanda Ramirez who captioned, that's a wrap from the galaxy far, far away. Thanks for having me this season. It was an absolute amazing adventure. Can't wait for the next one. So theoretically, maybe this is just Amanda Ramirez finishing up her duties, but because she's costume designer, I assume they stay throughout the entire oh, production yeah. schedule. And yeah, so Mandalorian season three in the can. They just got to do post-production. And I don't know, maybe that means we get it in like December. Like they turn these things around pretty quickly. That's what I was about to say, man. Especially with volume, you could really get something turned around pretty quick. Are we getting Star Wars Christmas again? Because like Book of Boba Fett, you know, it, it, it had the same vibe late in the year, but it was like December 27th or something like that, right? I love mm-hmm. a mid-December Star Wars drop. It just feels like Christmas. Um, that can be pretty cool. I'm very excited. Mando and there's, there's plenty of room for it too, because obviously there's no real Marvel conflicts. I know that they're more open to this nowadays because Miss Marvel and Obi-Wan are going to run mm-hmm. simultaneously for four weeks. Right. But she-hulk we assume is going to be done before black panther wakanda forever comes out in early november so theoretically if we have another eight chapter season this could start around mid-november throughout december and wrap by mid-january again this is wishful thinking i don't think any of us expected mandalorian season three to come out this year at all but the fact that they've already finished filming who knows i don't know i'm i'm optimistic yeah guardians holiday special is the only thing i can think of that might get in Mm -hmm. the way but that's obviously going to be a one episode one off so it's very exciting. Ladies and gentlemen, that has been the news from the universes you love. Liam, we're back. We are all the way back after 102 days of no new Marvel content. Moon Knight, episode one, in your ears right now. Wake me up. And the new era of the Marvel Cinematic Universe has officially begun. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome in to the first review of Moon Knight. We are going to be talking about episode one of Moon Knight. I don't know the title yet, but we'll get to that at some point, I'm sure. But Moon Knight episode one, Liam, 
new character, first origin story for a title character on Disney Plus. I want to get your spoiler free overall thoughts. I'm a big fan of the show, Matt. Uh, episode one really brought me into the psyche of Stephen Grant, which I love. I, I love getting to understand a character on an intellectual level, how he thinks, how he emotes, and when it's also not in my face. Uh, a lot of Oscar Isaac's uh, acting was done through facial expressions, which is just so awesome because, like I said, I don't like when I'm beaten over the head with stuff. I don't like when actors or characters are like kind of narrating as they go along through life. And this character, particularly, you understand how he's feeling in certain moments just by sad little looks he gives or how he tears up at certain moments. Um, he's a very, very, very rootable protagonist. And the mystery has me roped in. Uh, I will say, part of me wonders how much more I would enjoy this show if I had zero basis of knowledge, if I was completely going in, like, what is going on? Because uh, I'm about halfway through Lemire's run, and there's a lot of similarities, which is really cool. As Like, like I said, I told you this. Uh, you went into Hawkeye with all the Hawkeye Matt Fraction knowledge, and obviously you appreciated like the car chase scene. I won't say which, obviously, because this is spoiler free, but there were so many little things that I was like, oh, I remember that. Oh, man, I did my research. I'm a good boy. This was a fun first episode and it left me wanting more. But I do have some little nitpicks that I will get into when we get into specifics. Sure. You saying good boy right now may be uncomfortable. I don't know why. It's probably a defect, <laughs> but it really did. Um, uh, this episode, this this. Really, it was the introduction of this character. It really does feel like a new era of the MCU is upon us. Um, you know, we we obviously we look back at 2008, knowing what we know about Endgame and where all those stories end up going, and we can you know retroactively look at the different projects that showed Marvel Studios pushing the envelope and accomplishing something that we thought wasn't possible. Iron Man, Avengers, Guardians, Civil War. WandaVision. You know, those are all projects where, oh, they can do this too. You know, they get another tool on their tool belt. Moon Knight has the opportunity to do that. Moon Knight has the opportunity to be the show that proves you can introduce a character on Disney Plus. And if this works, if Moon Knight works how we all hope it's going to work, that is an open door for more major characters being introduced on Disney Plus. And with the X-Men coming, you know, I'm a huge fan of that idea. Um, this episode, I think, was a great first episode for this character because of everything you just said. You get to know Stephen Grant in a very intimate way. We get very personal with him. And, just, you know, we get developed in this character that I'm sure is going to rapidly evolve as we go on. But um, I think that the character they've introduced and the way they've introduced him has given me kind of a blanket you know, I'm ready for the ride kind of feeling, you know, like I like quality. I don't I, I don't really care where these episodes bounce up and down as far as quality early on the mystery they've set up and how they've set it up. I'm here for the end because a great ending to the show can overcome any any problems it might have. Um, and also just, you know, we'll get we'll very much get into it. But the production of the show is the superstar of Moon Knight so far for me. And I can't wait to talk about it. And a great way to talk about it, a great way to start talking about it in a very spoiler kind of way, ladies and gentlemen, the return of spoiler vomit. I was just about to say new microphone. Crushed it. Ladies and gentlemen, Moon Knight, Stephen Grant. Here we are. We meet this um 
loser of a character. I'll say it, you know, in comics, you know, you, you, the loser becomes the hero. We, they've portrayed a loser with Stephen Grant. Um, and that sounds mean. That's what he is though. You know, he's a loner and he's not very, he's awkward, all these things. Liam, what are your favorite things about what we learned about the character of Stephen Grant? I, it's, it's weird to say I love um, from like a, a storytelling perspective. I love how vulnerable he is. Yes. I like, it's just like, Man, this entire episode, I was feeling for this guy because he's so not in control of his own mind. And it's so damn sad. Like he goes about his daily routine and like, oh, this is just how life is. Like he chains himself to the bed. He pours the sand. He puts the tape on the door. Uh, he makes sure everything's OK. And then like he wakes up and he thinks it's just been a dream. And no, it's actually been two days. And you stood up your date and you didn't mean to. And you didn't even know you had a date originally. But then you got excited that the one time you were out of control of your mind, maybe it turned into a positive. And nope, it was actually just another negative. And the way he, you know, is talking to the mime and you can tell that he doesn't really have many friends. Uh, and when he's constantly leaving voicemails to, I believe, his mom, which makes me question, is there anyone else on the line? Or is he just calling a number that just doesn't exist? And he's just leaving voicemails to make himself feel better. Okay. There's also something about the fake British accent that just like the way he like quivers through it. It's just sad, man. Like, like I said, this is a very rootable protagonist and I just feel so freaking bad for him. Like in the graphic novel that I'm reading, you also like feel for him because he, he's not in control, but he's not as sympathetic as he is in this show. And that is a huge testament to Oscar Isaac's acting. Like I said, the facial expressions kill me. There were certain moments where his eyes were watering up, but he didn't shed a tear. And it's the camera work was enough to give it a little, a little flair that you knew he was emotional, but he wasn't really going to let it show because he's just one of those characters. And like I said, I'm, I'm stoked to embark on this journey because I'm rooting for Stephen Grant, Mark Spector, Moon Knight, whatever Oscar Isaac is in control to just kind of be in control and to understand what the hell is going on. Cause it's just, it's unfortunate and he's yeah. vulnerable, but I'm rooting for him. Yeah, no, I, I I'm right there with you. It's vulnerable. Is such an amazing word to describe this character. Cause that's exact. That's exactly what I think they're trying to portray harmless. You know, he's, he's so not an intimidating factor in the show. He's actually quite the opposite. And I think they did a really good job spending time on that too. You know what I mean? We'll get into the, you know, the way that they introduce Moon Knight and Mark Spector throughout the show. But, um, you know, the Stephen Grant stuff we get here establishes in such a foundational kind of way. This is a character that is vulnerable, scared, and not a threat to anybody in front of him and how they're going to contrast that later on uh, in this episode is just such a very cool thing that they were able to pull off. Um, I think I, uh, something I love about Stephen Grant that they showed here, he's obviously a history buff an Egyptian history buff specifically. And I love when the MCU, you know, other universes have done it, but the MCU does it routinely where they introduce something about a character that makes them, uh, you know, unique to what they are. And for him, like, they could have just said, yeah, you know, Stephen Gray, he knows everything there is to know about Egyptian history. And, you know, we all would have been okay with it. But then they show why he knows everything about Egyptian history. It's because he can't sleep. And when he can't sleep, he reads. And what's he read about? That stuff. So I think that is an awesome organic way to tie in that aspect of him as not a superpower, but something that's going to help him down the line, I'm sure. 
and building off that too, besides the vulnerability aspect, I love how passionate he is mm -hmm. about ancient Egyptian history. And when he gets into work early and he's guiding that girl around the museum and he's like, well, actually this is this, and this is that, and this is how that sarcophagus relates to that pyramid. And then his boss is like, Hey, you're a gift shop employee. You're here to sell toys. And he's just like, yeah, but like, what does that have to do with anything? What do these like yo-yos have to do with ancient Egyptian history? I love how passionate he is and how he wants to break through and do more, but he's so limited by his current circumstances. Yeah. And it's only going to make it feel so much more rewarding when he is allowed to do more. Right. And, and, you know, they've set that up in a really cool way, but obviously the thing that keeps getting in Stephen Grant's way is his sleeping disorder or at least that's what he thinks it is, right? He can't sleep at night. He wakes up and his body wants to move about, even though his mind's asleep. And I'm not going to try to do the accent, but, but that's that's about as deep as I will go into the accent. And um, some heavy icicles just fell off my window and it sounded like a car crash. I was like, what? They call that a nor'easter, right? When the icicles so. come down. Um, uh, the sleeping disorder of Stephen Grant, obviously he um either when he falls asleep or he just blacks out in the middle he wakes up in the middle of nowhere and something has happened and um i just want to kind of talk about the way they've produced this concept and i want to start with something that happens to me all the time is that i hear a song in a movie and i become obsessed with that song i i you know uh, uh i walk down the aisle to come and get your love <laughs> you know what i mean like uh left hand free uh, in Homecoming, I think it's just an incredible needle drop. The ne they've done it again with a man without love in this in this show. I love the way they use it, Liam, when he wakes up in the beginning of the show and they do it over uh, every day I wake up and that's how we get to know him. And then we get the entire event with him and Arrow and, uh, you know, Conchu and Mark Spector and all these different things. And then it cuts right back to him in bed and they play that song again an audible cue that this was all a dream. Nothing was real. You know what I mean? And I love how they did that. I love how they cut everything. Liam, the production of when he blacks out and then wakes back up and things have happened. Talk to me about how great it was. Cause I know you agree that it was just, it was really well done. The production is the shining star. If Oscar Isaac isn't in this show, he's just mm -hmm. such an incredible actor. There's so much to love about how they produce this show. And it's not just, the visual cues and the audio cues. It's the camera work. There's so much great camera work that just takes you into Stephen Grant's mind. Like the certain angles they have shots go on where we're at a bird's eye view and he's looking around and he's all paranoid and then the camera moves just a little bit. And then when he's in the gift shop late at night with the boss and it's like a handheld shop, but it's not like found footage. Little things like that just establish in your mind of like, there's a sense of unpredictability here. There's not... There's not like a tried and true, like shot for shot. This is how we make a TV series. We don't know what we're going to get from a production standpoint, which makes the character feel that much more unpredictable. And like you said, the little, the, the glitches between personalities, like the way we kind of like zoom into his mind, all shaky cam, and then it zooms out. And then we see, well, oh my God, what's going on? Straight out of the comics. Like I, oh, like the panels, I could literally see how they took a panel from Lemire's run and we're like, how do we turn this into a live action motion picture? And they somehow did it. And I don't even know how to describe it, but like the glitch aspect is so key to Moon Knight on the page. And they've somehow replicated it here. 
but I like that it's part of shrouding the mystery. This mm-hmm. is not going to be something we see every single episode because once we start to realize aspects of this character, when he switches from Grant to Mark Spector to Moon Knight to Mr. Knight, whatever, we're going to see what happens in between the glitches. So for now, to keep this thing encased in mystery, doing those kind of glitches that are straight out of the comics is awesome. Yeah, and and you know, just as far as like telling a comic book story on a series, I think it just opens it up to such a more comic book feeling first episode. How, like, you know, we all know I'm the continuity guy, which means when I want to read a new comic event, I always take two or three steps back and read the origin story for whatever character that is, just so I can be caught up with where that character or characters are in that. So I read origin stories more than any other type of story in comics. And the first issue of an origin run is so much like this episode where it is getting to know the character and and at the very end you know it's it's oh my god here's what's coming what they're able to do here with this concept and the reason that i'm kind of just blindly all in on moon knight like i'm more excited for the ending of this show than anything else in between it's because they are able to have a full-fledged like developed superhero with this mark specter moon knight character and but like you said we don't see any of it he blacks out and shit just got real. We got a guy falling out the back of a truck. He's standing in a circle surrounded by eight dudes with their heads busted open. All these different things. And the fact that they're hiding all of that from us here, it's just, I, I can't wait till we get to a point where they're working side by side and we have a full-fledged superhero. But at the same time, through Stephen Grant, we're going to find out how we got here. And I think that's such a cool thing uh, that you don't see in origin stories with comic book movies. It's either it's either they start the show as the character or start the movie as the full fledged superhero. And we just go on about it like the Batman. Right. Or it's more like Iron Man, where we see them step by step become that hero. We get both here in Moon Knight. And that's why I'm kind of just, you know, whatever you guys want to do, do it. I just I'm more focus on the ending than anything else, which is an exciting aspect. Um, and, and again, back to that word you use so well, vulnerability, this the vulnerable Stephen Grant to show him so vulnerable. And then when he blacks out, see how much damage he does, you know, when he busts all those guys heads open, when he gets out of that car chase that he should not have gotten out of during Wake Me Up by uh, uh, Wham, by the way, which is such a good song choice for that car chase. Super decent car chase, by the way. Awesome car chase. Really, yeah. really well done. For, for a show that hides the action, which is something that we've just uh-huh. talked about that we love, they introduced a really good action scene with Stephen Grant, which is awesome. Um, I just I love how we're going to be able to get a fully developed superhero and the how we got here all at the same time. That's a concept that they're really leaning into, and I love. I, I was wondering, too. I thought it was good vibrations by the Beach Boys for the longest time but it was wake me up before you go go by wham i don't know why i mixed the two up in my head what's really weird is monday morning yesterday time of recording i woke up and i always put on my speaker and play a song to start my day it's either usually been pursuit of happiness kid cuddy good morning kanye west monday for whatever reason i was like wake me up before you go go by wham and i didn't connect the two Nice. That's weird. I don't know if I'm having a Mark Spector, Stephen Grant moment, but whatever. I digress. Uh, the car chase I thought was uh, was awesome, uh, especially for a Disney Plus production. And as oh. you said, too, it was Perfect. awesome to it was awesome to to have good action in an episode that was hiding most of it. Mm-hmm. And to this to this show's credit right now, it seems like it's super visceral and brutal and they're allowed to kind of stretch more into TVMA than TV 14. 
because it's part of the narrative structure. You know what I mean? Like John Walker caving a guy's chest in with a shield worked because we couldn't see it, but the implications were still there. And then there was like the cell phone footage angle. So obviously we weren't going to get high production quality within the context of this show. The fact that the most brutal stuff happens during blackouts, it's not like a crutch to be like, all right, we can't show you this because it's R rated, but it's going to be implied. No, it's just part of how they're telling the story, which I think is a genius way to get around that. Time to go to work. Um, it's it's a really um, awesome thing that they're doing here. Uh, the the yin and yang between Stephen Grant and whoever's on the other side of his brain. Um, uh, the Conchu narration, um, you know, that it was sprinkled in throughout this episode. Um, I, I like that this is a kind of sarcastic, witty Conchu, uh, and not just some ominous being. Uh, Liam, what did we think of the the, the multiple the multiple personality stuff that we did get here. We got a little bit of Mark Specker. We got a little bit of Conchu. What do we think of all three of them together talking to each other? All three of them together, I think, are fine for now. I, I need to see more. I do not like Conchu. And there's a very real reason why I was trying to pinpoint it. I watched this episode and I was like, What's bothering me about this character? Like, it's not out of line for a Marvel character to be a little sarcastic and be a little witty. Why is this bothering me so much? And then it hit me. It's because an inner voice being sarcastic and kind of wacky reminds me way too much of Venom. <laughs> way too much of Venom. It, it, it took me out and it put me in that theater back in September 2021 And I was just like, I really wish that memory did not get resurrected right now. So I hope I get more used to it as the weeks go on. But this entire episode, all I could think about is why is this bothering me? Then a couple days later, it hit me like a bullet train. Oh, my God. It's Venom. Venom. No. It just hit me the exact same way it hit you. As you were talking, I was like, what could he possibly be? Oh, my God. It's Venom. That's hilarious, man. That is so funny. Um, yeah, it's it. This is definitely going to be a situation where we're going to need to see more of it. Um, but uh, it's exciting to see where we go with Conchu and Mark Spector as a whole. Um, and uh, I think we got to just move on to kind of the end of this episode and like where we're going from here. So Liam, Ethan Hawke's character, Arthur Harrow. We didn't get a ton of him here, but we definitely got the vibes. Um. I got to talk to you about his introduction. The opening scene of the entire series is him breaking glass and putting it in his shoe. This guy's a psycho. What do we think about this cult leader and the vibes that he is giving off? Like, what the hell, man? Uh, so, so scary. So terrifying. Uh, the one thing that does I- I'm waiting to see more on in terms of judging his character is I want to know why he has followers. I I don't like the idea of him just being a cult leader and people blindly following him. I want to see what kind of got people on his side. Um, The tattoo, little little corny with the the scales and everything and holding everything. I don't know. Little things like that only rub me the wrong way because I haven't seen the full picture. This is one puzzle piece out of the entire narrative and we'll see how it unfolds as the weeks go on. Um, But Ethan Hawke is clearly all in in this role. He's scary. He's terrifying. Um, the the glass in the shoes is just why, what, what is happening? And also, here's the thing I was alluding to in the spoiler-free thing: the fact that he's working with Amut, like that's 
that's going to be dangerous. <laughs> that's going to be dangerous. I, I won't, I won't say specifics because I, not that I look at comics as spoilers, but you know, if you know how things go a little bit, you, you don't want to point people in the right direction, but just, just know that this is not an alliance that we want to happen uh, between a cult leader and an Egyptian God that has a chip on her shoulder. So that's that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, yeah, I can't speak too much on it. Um, I have seen episode two, so, you know, I kind of, I have an understanding of where this goes a little bit more um, than an episode one watch, but um, I think that, um, I don't know if this is a negative because it's kind of like, you know, the, the foundation of an origin movie. I think we're barreling toward Moon Knight versus evil Moon Knight. You know what I mean? You know, having that second deity be a part of this. Um, so it'll be interesting to see kind of where we land here with this uh, hero cult. But uh, Ethan Hawke's crushing it. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's just he's just out there being Ethan Hawke, being a great actor. And, you know, it's that kind of quality. Um, we do have to talk about the final scene in the bathroom of the museum. Uh, climax scene of the show, for sure. Um, it's the first time we really get to see Mark Spector talk to Stephen Grant through the mirror. Um, it's an American accent. It's it's that more charismatic Oscar Isaac that we all know and love. It's the exact opposite of Stephen Grant. And um, just kind of the way that they handled that back and forth leading up to the confrontation with that demon dog. Um, at the end of the uh, episode here, Liam, what do we think about the introduction of Mark Spector and Moon Knight at the very end? And, you know, a little feather in my cap. I did call that that was going to be the last frame of the episode um you know I, i'm not trying to brag but you know that's exciting when you get something right well like I, I was about to do it for you but oh, now okay. you've already said I'm it okay well, i was gonna I'm say asshole. matt did call you not 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 <laughs> no not only was it was it the the suit up scene but you were like no that one in the bathroom with the demon dog and everything and i was like yeah i think you might be onto something there so good on you for for recognizing how these disney plus shows tend to end and i, I think we all kind of expected a little john walker type sure. ending of suit reveal little wink at the camera and then credits roll uh this was awesome this was yeah. so cool i love again the production just keeps on elevating as these scenes go on and seeing specter in the mirror looking back at grant in the body was really dope because it genuinely feels like two different people and you cannot get every actor to do that. You need someone like Oscar Isaac to play the same person, same look, no different hairstyle, beard, clothing, whatever. They're the same looking person. But one is you got to let me take over. I can get us out of this. And the other is frantic and freaking out. And they don't feel like they're doing an impersonation of each other. It feels like we have Mark Spector and Stephen Grant and they're two separate people. You hear that one? Yes. Oh my God. Liam's, that was Liam's house is falling down. That was, I, shook things. Yeah. Well, okay. I, for anyone who didn't hear before, icicles <laughs> falling off my house. I'm, I'm okay. Don't worry. Um, yeah, I know. Oh, too. Uh, you got to watch out for that stuff. Yeah. Right. Conchu's on the other side being like, you got to let me take over. You got to let me take over. Stop. The stop idiots here again. <laughs> uh, venom. Venom. That's straight up venom. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to see more Mark Spector next week because it feels like a brand new character that we haven't really met yet. We've only been teased. Yeah. And, and, and I just want to go back to the contrast between Stephen Grant and what is being implied in Mark Spector slash Moon Knight. Um, you know, we see it throughout the episode, uh, you know, Stephen Grant, like we've said over and over a vulnerable, non-threatening human, but when he blacks out, he just did 
damage. You know, we got dead people surrounding him. He's getting out of a car chase. What he does when he blacks out is so much more badass than anything Stephen Grant could be. And then at the very end, we see it. And it's not just that, like, they showed, oh, he's strong and can fight now. They showed this demon dog wrenches my heart trying to crawl out of the bathroom and getting dragged back in man like that was so violent and visceral and like it makes me sad no one ever touched my dog i swear to god um but like like that was just such an awesome way to show the level up of what happens when Stephen grant goes goes down and mark specter comes up here's how good it gets just such an amazing way to set that up at the very end and again that's the kind of hook that's going to get me on this show no matter what. That That is one of those, like, portals. Like, um, I can't think of any right now. Uh, oh, oh, like when Luis tells his stories in the Ant-Man franchise, that's the kind of thing that I'm going to fall for every single time. It's never going to get old, and I love how they did it. And, uh, yeah, guys, that's Moon Knight Episode 1. Uh, moving forward into the next episode, like I said, I can't really speak too much about it, Liam. I'm wondering if you have any lines that matter. I do actually have one, and I'm very proud of myself because I watched this episode five days ago, and I didn't write anything down, but one stuck out, and it's easy to remember because it's only one word. But when Arthur Harrow says mercenary to Stephen Grant, and he's kind of freaking out, there's a relationship between Arthur Harrow and Mark Spector that we don't know about. Mark Spector's been after this dude for a while as Mark Spector, the mercenary, not necessarily Mark Spector, a.k.a. Moon Knight. So how that relationship develops or how we start to unpack elements that are currently you know closely guarded is has my full attention Mm -hmm. and moving forward my i guess my biggest thing i'm looking forward to next week is getting inside mark specter's mind because we just saw the vulnerability of stephen grant the gift shop employee what happens when we get into brash confident mark specter the mercenary because in the comics specter is someone who when he suits up as Moon Knight, it's not him relinquishing control of his body. It's more of him embracing the fist of Khonshu. Stephen Grant, a little frantic, a little like, ah, okay, here, you know, I'll, I'll, I, I sacrifice myself, go on, take over Khonshu. Spectre, on the other hand, it's like, no, this is my super soldier serum, and I'm all about it. So yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, that's the kind of stuff I really hope they play with. It's like, you know, look at Moon Knight as a puzzle. And the pieces they're deciding to lay out for Mark Spector in this first episode, I think is so interesting because like you said, we are learning about Mark Spector's backstory through these blackouts and what Stephen Grant doesn't know. And I think that that's such an awesome way to introduce a character before really introducing a character. It's just uh, really well done. I'm, I'm hooked in and I can't wait for next week. And we'll be back here next week, ladies and gentlemen, with Moon Knight Episode 2 review. Make sure to let us know what your favorite parts of Moon Knight Episode 1 are and what you're looking forward to the most. And we will see you then. You know, Liam, Moon Knight has introduced a new tool in the toolbox of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, being able to introduce a character as a series instead of a movie. We're also getting Obi-Wan, a character that's only been shown in movies outside of Clone Wars, obviously, and is now getting his own series to flesh that out. We are in the streaming wars. Movies and series are becoming more and more similar than not. Thank you, Game of Thrones. Thank you, uh, you know, different uh, like Stranger Things, things like that. Universe projects as series are very much a part of today's world. So let's look back. Let's look back at uh, Marvel, DC, Star Wars. What movies do you think should have or could have been told as a series, but also on the flip side, 
Are there any series that you would have liked to see as a movie? I'm going to start out with a big one. And this is one. Wow. The icicles just keep falling, Matt. They Liam do not, not stop. Make it. Mm-hmm. I might not make it, but here's hoping we get through this segment. Um, this <laughs> is a project that I am happy was a movie, but I'll always be curious if it could have been a series. And that's Captain America Civil War. I would love to see a mini series of Civil War. Similar, we haven't seen Secret Invasion yet, but I assume Secret Invasion is going to be told narratively, structure-wise, similar to Civil War, but it's going to be told throughout episode formats. I would just like to see longer conversations between Tony and Steve. Like I go back and I watch those scenes on YouTube and I forget, man, that was only three minutes. They only discussed those pens. And if you just signed, that was only three and a half minutes. That's it. Like in a TV show, we would have had that conversation for 10 minutes, maybe 15. And what does that look like? Is it better? Is it worse? Who knows? But I think we could have fleshed out Civil War a lot more. It would have been a much more patient story than what we got in the two and a half hours. Not to say Civil War is not good. It's a masterpiece. It's incredible. It's a perennial top five MCU movie that, you know, maybe gets etched out of the top five as we get more good theatrical releases. But I will say the first two acts of that movie are some of my favorite MCU stuff ever done. And to see those first two acts stretched out over the cross, uh, over across four to six episodes would be really, really cool. So Cap Civil War as a Disney Plus miniseries, I think would be awesome. No, I completely agree. That's a great answer. Civil War in the comics is such an event with so many tie-ins, different things like that. You really could have gotten, um, it, I think uh, something that we could have gotten out of a series in Civil War is really what each character felt about the cause a little more than we had. We have that scene right before Peggy dies and all those things, but to really see whose side everybody's on throughout the thing, that's what the comics did so well. Having that in a series, I think could have been awesome too. Like what if we just got one episode, no cap, no Tony, just focus on Wanda and Vision? Exactly. How do they see about like, like, like you said, I, I think that's a genius perspective. You could stretch out civil war, the movie over six episodes and each episode focuses on different characters. And that's not to say that Cap isn't a focal point, but I would retitle it just Civil War. It wouldn't be a Cap movie. Like we would get Civil War as an event, as we expect Secret Invasion to be, where Samuel L. Jackson is technically the lead as Nick Fury, but I'm sure he's not going to be the only A player in that show. Yeah, I'm totally with you. Um, That being said, obviously Civil War coming after Winter Soldier, it improved everything Winter Soldier built. And also as a precursor to Infinity War, like Infinity War might be the best paced uh, popcorn movie of all time. I, I, I would love to have that conversation someday. But Infinity War is perfectly paced. I don't think that happens without Civil War laying the groundwork for how to pace that kind of movie. And oh, I love Civil War so much. Um, uh, my uh, first one, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with what uh, the format you set up. A movie I would like to see as a show. This might be chalk. I don't really care too much, though. Eternals. I think Eternals should have been a Disney Plus series. I think that it would have been received so much better had it been. Um, Eternals was cinematically amazing. The characters we got, I like a lot, but obviously it has its issues story-wise and, you know, just kind of um, pacing. You know, like we just praised Civil War for, the pacing of Eternals doesn't really allow you to get as invested as I think the movie wants it to be. You put that as a four-episode Disney Plus series. It doesn't even have to be a full six. Make it more of an event. Make it more of a WandaVision style thing where it's like this is a succinct no season two type story for Eternals and then we branch off into movies. Um, I just think that it's easy to say, right? You know, you get more time with each character so you're going to care a little more. But 
everybody went into Eternals saying what we've been saying forever. Well, they did it with Guardians. They can do it again with Eternals. I think that that was a bar set a little too high in retrospect. You know, we we talked about the bar being low for Guardians and it overcame that. Guardians set the bar really high for Eternals. And I just feel like the whole, well, you know, I don't know these characters. How am I going to care about all of them? Well, they did it with Guardians. That was the number one uh, uh, pitch for the movie. I just think it fell a little short. Obviously, added more characters. Could have been a show, and I think it would have been a really great one. Well, also the the bar of Chloe Zhao reigning, defending best director at the Academy Awards. Absolutely. As, as opposed to James Gunn in 2014, who I'll say it at that time, kind of a relative unknown. Like the name James Gunn in 2014 isn't the name James Gunn today. Sure. He's not the horribly beautiful mind of James Gunn presents the Suicide Squad. It's Guardians of the Galaxy directed by James Gunn. So well, yeah. I, I, I know what you're saying there, um, but I think there were other things that raised Eternals bar that made it very, very different. Like we all went into that movie being like, Oh my God, best picture nominee. And you know, that I think that was a, a, a level that was way too high for that movie. I would love to see it as a mini series because not just the character aspect, but getting to spend more time in each location, like the cinematography of Eternals is gorgeous. No one's denying that, but getting to spend a full episode in Babylon rather than jumping back and forth to it. Um, it's been a while since I've seen it and I was able to follow Eternals pretty well the two times I saw it, but a lot of people, a big complaint they had was the pacing issues. And because it's hopping between time and hopping between characters, it's a lot easier to condense that into this episode focuses on this. And then next week you reset your brain and it focuses on a different aspect. I think it would thrive as a, as a miniseries. Completely agree. Liam, uh, do you have another pick to add to this uh, kind of loose list we're building here of a show you'd rather see as a movie or a movie you'd rather see as a show? Uh, this one, I mean, we're staying in the Captain America world, and I don't know if I'd say I'd rather see this because I was a little hesitant about the announcement of Captain America 4 because I really wanted Falcon Winter Soldier Season 2. But I'm curious as to what Falcon Winter Soldier looks like in a movie format. Not for me personally, for the general public, because... Mm-hmm. Y'all don't put enough respect on that show's name. And I think there's a better chance you would if it was a two and a half hour movie. Um, Also getting to play with a bigger budget. I thought the action scenes were exceptional um, throughout the series of Falcon Winter Soldier, but maybe upping the ante a little bit. Also, the biggest issue I think Falcon Winter Soldier ran into that everyone agrees with is the, the villain stuff and how stuff had to be reworked. And we all suspect because there were there were storylines that were way too real world for March of 2021, but taking that out and having a movie. Sure. If we're going to restructure this and still play with the COVID obstacles, you'd have to rework the entire movie, but I think it's better to rework an entire movie than it is to rework two out of six episodes. Like I think that there are four elite tier episodes of the Falcon winter soldier and two episodes that are half good, half bad. And for that reason, people have soured on it a little bit. I think if you rework an entire movie, because you have no choice but to rework the entire movie, it would end better for people than reworking part of a show because some episodes are already in the can, some episodes aren't. So I think uh, Falcon Winter Soldier as a theatrical release would have done better for the general public, but I'm glad we got it as a show, personally, selfishly. That was exactly my next pick was Falcon Winter Soldier as a movie. Um, for all the reasons you said, I just think that um, obviously the Flag Smashers and the Sharon Carter stuff left a very sour taste in my mouth with that show. Um, but also, I, I 
I stand by this, you know, wholeheartedly. I think John Walker's story should have ended after episode five, and then we get the post credit scene in episode six. I don't love how he came back and got his redemption arc after we just saw the spiral of John Walker throughout the entire show. Um, I did what you told me. I exactly. did what you told me. So damn good. I, I think it should have ended there and then came back with Val. Um, but yeah, I just think that uh, Falcon Winter Soldier as a movie could have tightened it up a little bit and increased some of the suspense of the parts they wanted to be suspenseful. We got too, it's, it's weird to say, we got too much time with Sharon Carter by the point that she's the power broker. Not only did we all kind of see it coming, just the way it kind of played out, nobody really cared. And now we just have to wait for somebody to see it again. I think in a movie, it just could have tightened up a little bit. You know, nothing, it's nothing against what we got on screen. I just think it could have tightened up the story and uh, trimmed a little bit of the fat that was, Falcon Winter Soldier. And also, kind of like we talked about, uh, kind of like I talked about on the uh, Friends from Work podcast, it could have maybe left the door open a little bit for Bucky. Um, I love what happens with Bucky and Falcon Winter Soldier. I think it's a perfect resolution to his character. But where do we go from here with Bucky? We've finally seen him find peace. I, you know, I kind of hope that's kind of the end of the will they, won't they with Bucky. I think in a movie, you could have maybe left that door open a little bit. I don't know if that's good or bad, but as that was my <laughs> as well. What's up? He's barking. So, uh, uh, oh, yeah, because you went silent for a second. I didn't know if that I'm was muted. a pause or what. Oh, okay. No. Uh, so, uh, I said, um, I think that could have been good as a movie as well. Do you just want to go on to your next pick? Or do you have an yeah, next pick? I- I, I can do an next pick. Okay. Think for a second. You don't have to have yeah, an next pick. I, we can end it there. Well, we said three, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll do another pick. Um, all right, cool. And in three, two, oh. Three, two, one. My final pick, this is one that I don't know if it really would have succeeded all that much better because they did try to redo it and people were more happy with it with a director's cut of it. But I think if you flesh it out even further, it could have worked better and set up a universe that never really got the chance to move. That's Batman v Superman as an HBO Max series. Obviously, HBO Max wasn't around in 2016, but HBO Now was. HBO Go was all the different HBO variants that existed back then before they consolidated them all into hbo max um there's so much movie in batman v superman and there's even more movie in the director's cut and there's even more movie that we didn't ever get to see that ended up on the cutting room floor this thing was a bit of a mess in terms of trying to set everything up at once it's age of ultron and civil war and iron man 3 and winter soldier mixed into one movie and somehow we're gonna get to infinity war in a less than a calendar year afterwards i don't know as an hbo max series i think it's still a very tall order but you give this a game of thrones 10 episodes to flesh out this universe and you want to you want to speed through a cinematic universe you cannot do that in one movie maybe you can do it in one season of television Maybe. I don't know if it works. I don't know if it holds people's attention. But when comic book movies are all the rage in 2016, coming off the heels of Avengers Age of Ultron, a couple months before Captain America Civil War comes out, say, hey, DC's doing things a little differently. We're doing the cinematic universe where all of our characters already exist. 
but we're giving you time with them. We're giving you 10 episodes, 50 to 65 minutes. Here's Aquaman. Here's Wonder Woman. Here's Batman. Here's Superman. They're going to have a conflict. They're going to fight in episode nine. In episode 10, we're really going to do the Game of Thrones thing where we set up the next season, a.k.a. the Justice League. Yeah, I think it's a great pick. I think that's, uh, you know, that's that's exactly kind of my mentality for my last pick as well. Like what movie had too much going on for its own good and what could have gotten a Game of Thrones treatment? And yours makes a lot more sense because Game of Thrones was at its height when that movie came out. You know, I mean, that was what, like season five or six or whatever. It's the greatest show of all time kind of stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. My my last pick, it's kind of two picks. It is two picks. I'm not it's not kind of I'm cheating. I'm going to pick two more here, but they're both in the same vein. It's the Star Wars prequels and the TASM run with Andrew Garfield. Those needed a Game of Thrones treatment because the, the, the Star Wars prequels are just a toxic trilogy where I think I, I honestly find a couple parts of those movies offensive to Star Wars. But um, it's, it's because they didn't explain any motive behind any character at any point ever because, uh, you know, you have an action scene and then you cut away and Palpatine walks and he's like, yeah, they just made me the new um, uh, Supreme Emperor of the entire empire. And it happened off screen. Like, that's something we need to see. Right. So I think fleshing that out that way could have gotten more points across. I, I, I think the idea of the prequels is so great. It's just the execution is so bad that it makes me not want to see it. Same thing with Tasm. Obviously, Tasm 2, we all know too much for one movie, you know, just too much going on. I just love the idea of having Spider-Man be the main character of, an, of a Game of Thrones style series. You know, like like what a different way to take one of the biggest IPs ever, just like you said with the Justice League and Batman versus Superman. I just think Tasm could have been cool. I, I like the movies. I like the movies we got because I love rewatching them. I don't think that the, the second one's necessarily good. And the first one, third act really falls apart for me. But having that as a series, I think, could have been recreating the animated series, um, but a very mature and HBO-style way. Um, But obviously, here's the thing. There wasn't that. 2012, it wasn't Game of Thrones yet. You know, like, we had been two seasons into Game of Thrones at that point. So, like, you know, that, that really wasn't something people were thinking about at the time. But now, knowing what we know about what HBO has done, what Apple TV has done, what Disney Plus is doing... I think that uh, the Tasm could have been cool as a series. And that was just kind of a, a little little discourse because Moon Knight is changing the game in the MCU. Obi-Wan is changing the game in the Star Wars universe. I cannot wait to see what they do with series in the universes you love moving forward. Ladies and gentlemen, that was a Moon Knight Episode 1 review. That was all of your top news. And that was a movie's first streaming discourse. And that was Episode 83 of the direct podcast we thank you guys so much for following along we love talking to y'all every single week you have no idea how much this means to us um just knowing that you guys are invested and you listen and you know we love this community we love having you all on the team uh make sure to share this with all your friends who love um this type of stuff you know if you have friends into this universe conversation let them know the direct podcast is, you know, we hopefully have something for them. And, you know, that's what we try to do every single week, including some stuff outside of the world of fantastic. Liam, what weekly recommendation do you have for the people today? I got two. I got one life one and I got one music one, as I like sure. to do. First up, we'll go with the music. Machine Gun Kelly dropped mainstream sellout and I don't care about the noise. This is a good album. People hate Machine Gun Kelly these days because he's kind of embraced uh, the pop punk vibe. And now that he is, you know, 
enjoying his success, people are pushing back a little bit. And I still think he makes good music. Uh, a couple songs I recommend off this album, Fake Love Don't Last with Ian Dior. Really good. I've played it too much and I'm going to hate it very soon because I'm overplaying it. Uh, Makeup Sex with Black Bear. Drug Dealer uh, with Lil Wayne. Maybe with Bring Me the Horizon. Uh, mainstream Sellout, the title track and Twin Flame. Uh, I enjoyed this album as a whole. I was very surprised to hear the backlash because I think it's very similar, almost a carbon copy to Tickets to My Downfall, which was met with universal praise. But now that, you know, oh, Machine Gun Kelly is, is embracing the new genre versus trying something new, public pushes back a little bit. I'm going down with the ship. I'm still a big fan of his work and his discography. And yeah, I've been bumping that album all week. My life recommendation, though, uh, start your mornings, start your days really early. Um, I, for whatever reason, told myself that this uh, back half of the semester was really going to take advantage of the AMs. And it's just really improved my mood, like overall, just happier with life, uh, looking at the positives overall being able to write more for the direct and wrestling Inc has been awesome. Um, getting to re record this podcast and wrap this thing up before noon is incredible. And it's just, it's, it's improved my mood. It's improved life. Uh, not that I really needed a giant boost, but Hey, things can always be better. And I've noticed that when I wake up at five 30 in the morning, Life is good overall. I get tired by like 9.30, bed by 10. I feel like an old man, but it's working for me. Maybe it'll work for you. Try it out. Yeah, you know, I've always been a proponent of the early morning. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's definitely a good thing to, a good habit to get into. You just get a little bit more of your day back, which is always really exciting. My uh, recommendation for the week, it, I talked about it in the Moon Knight review. It's uh, the song from Moon Knight, A Man Without Love. I've become obsessed with it. I'm going to look up the artist right now. It's from the 60s, this song. And uh, I just, I, I've been jamming it, dude, for like the past five days, just over and over and over. It's by Engelbart Humberdink. Um, yeah, that's his name, Engelbart Humberdink. <laughs> but, uh, dude, this song slaps. I want to I want to sing it in a bar with a bunch of my friends. You know what I mean? Like every day I wake up. It's just a great chanting song. And I'm a huge fan of it. I cannot wait for everybody to get introduced to it tomorrow. It's going to be a good time. And uh, we'll be back next week. Moon Knight episode two. Liam, this is the longest run of content we've ever had. And I cannot wait to dive into it. And it's, it's such a big run of content, guys. I forgot we're doing Morbius on Friday. <laughs> Can't wait to go see it. It's going to be a good one. And, and, and just a forewarning for everybody, with Multiverse of Madness a little over a month away, I'm going to be re-watching WandaVision and Loki for the first time ever through the month of April. And so I'm going to be talking about that a lot on this podcast. So just get ready for that. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's going to be... A really good time. I hope you can all join along with me and Liam. Uh, thank you guys so much for coming. We'll see you next time. Every day I wake up and I start to break up. Lonely is a man without love. Every day I start out, then I cry my heart out. Lonely is a man without love. Every day I wake up and I start to break up. Knowing that it's blind. I have started drinking the uh, uh, vanilla sweet cream cold brew from Starbucks. Mm -hmm. Fucking amazing. <laughs> like, I'll have to check it out. It's so, do you like sweet coffee?
Yeah. It's my go my go to creamer is Italian sweet cream. Ooh. Do you know um what's the I do, I do the Irish sweet cream? You know, I guess I'm just more of an Irishman than you. <laughs> I guess so. Um what's what's the brand that does a lot of creamers? You know, I'm talking coffee mate. Yeah, the red, the red uh lid. Yeah, coffee mate, Italian sweet cream. It's the one that during Star Wars season was Boba Fett. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. I don't know why I remember that, but I do. Christmas creamers are better creamers. Uh-huh. It's a fact. Like, like the coffee creamer you have during Christmas time is better than when it's during the summer. 